good to see you all here today. And you too. Come on. Anyway, while well, I struggle. Um, one of the things that uh, I was going to announce to you, we've been talking about over the last several weeks in the sense of potentially meeting on uh, a morning versus an afternoon. And uh, Paul and I have visited with a lot of you, and uh, you guys are all so full of grace, <laughs> you would come anyway, but it does seem like it would be better for a lot of folks, the majority, to meet in the morning. So we're going to, on May 1st, um, we're going to begin meeting at 10 a.m. We'll see if anybody shows up. <laughs> at any rate. So uh, we apologize to those that it may make a difference for. Um, it just seemed like overall um, it was a... Right, Paul? I mean, I'm not just making this up. Please say that. <laughs> yeah, that was, there were some on both. I've talked to a number of folks. Yeah. Everybody said what... Well, at any rate, I, I, think, I think what we need to do is to try it. That's where we're at. We've been, we've been doing this for a long time, and I think for a lot of folks, it will actually improve. For myself, I, I'm willing to make any adjustments necessary to make that work. And, it's at uh, 10 o'clock on May. Mm-hmm. Correct. And we should let people know. Yeah, that yeah. That's, what, that's what we're doing here, and uh, obviously spread the word, uh-huh. and uh, we'll give it a try. Okay, with that, let's go to our Bibles, and uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 3. Paul, I didn't catch. Uh, what did you read this morning or this afternoon? Matthew Already on morning now. <laughs> what was it? Matthew 28. This is amazing. <laughs> it's not going to work. So I'll just go with it. At any rate, uh, we're here today because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Can you think of anything better than that? No. Your head should be shaking now. There should be things rattling, so to speak. Um, It's phenomenal to think that the reason we can be here is because for one time in all of history and for all of eternity forward, one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, conquered the thing that no one else can do by themselves. Death. Death. And that's why we're here. Um, We've been talking about in the last number of weeks in, in Mark, speaking to how the disciples now are under uh, a direct, shall we say, leadership or a training session or seminar from Jesus Christ himself. They've been traveling about two and a half years with Jesus, 24-7. Every, they've seen him just repeatedly, how he reacts, how he responds, seeing him in prayer, seeing him just minister to thousands And then it's like he set that aside, and now he wants to speak directly to them. And the first thing he told them was, ready, guys, listen carefully. I'm going to (laughs) die. And I'm total shock, total disbelief, and Peter just blurts out, oh, that could never happen. It should never happen. You're the Messiah. You're the Christos, the anointed one, the one that we've been waiting for. How could this possibly happen? So he had the right person, the wrong plan. That sounds like us a lot of times, doesn't it? We know who God is. We pray to him. We're all excited. We got the wrong plan. Well, as time went on, and then we talked about actually that that moment that Jesus spoke of. Some of you are going to be here when the glory of 
God is going to be shown to you. You're not even going to die. And six days later, the transfiguration takes place. And God's final parting thing was, it was pretty short, pretty sweet, pretty on the track. He says, would you guys just listen to him, Jesus? And for that point forward, the disciples were really should have been just tuned in. But when you say the word cross, they're out. They're out. The cross, that's, that's a point of punishment. That's, that's ridiculous. How does the Messiah, God's own very son, fall under the cross? Now, for us, we're on this side of the cross. Uh, I can say with a great deal of happiness and joy that, quite honestly, that Jesus did endure the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that even with joy, he endured the cross for what would happen as a result. So there's many ways to look at the cross. We can look at it from our perspective. Literally today, it's much different than what the disciples would have seen because they had their friends and neighbors, 30,000 of which in the course of the ministry that Jesus walked and talked on this earth, that died at the hands of those that were crucified. Their neighbors, their friends, their family. They see, a cross to them was very, very different. However, for us, looking back now, we could say that was the key to victory. That was literally how God saved me. Jesus paid the price. You could look at it from even from Satan's perspective. It was a tough day for that boy, for that dude. That was the day that, as it speaks of the serpent's head, was stepped upon, tread upon, conquered. He can only admit that. It happened. He no longer had, had the course or the control of death, which sin is the result of. It's over. The demons, you know, they tremble at the very, the very essence of Jesus Christ, at his very, the mentioning of his word. And then you know, as we went through previous studies in Mark, that the demons would declare who he was, even though they would prefer to have been quiet. A demon does not want to be exposed. We talk about that. I don't want to go too far down that. There are demons that are very active that don't want you to know where they're at or what they're up to. The world is full of that kind of thing. We can look at it from even Jesus Christ's perspective, the cross. That's what we're talking about is the cross, the perspective of the cross. Jesus would have seen excruciating pain. He knew it before it happened. He told his disciples about what was going to happen. I can't imagine he couldn't even until those moments happened, which basically are at least three hours, from noon till three, when darkness fell over the earth, when God turned his back on Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, because he was wearing and bearing my sin and your sin. But I want to look at it from God's perspective. How did God see the cross? How did he see it? That's really important, isn't it? How does God see the cross? With that... Long intro. Let's go to, where did I, did I tell you where to turn? Very good. Romans chapter 3. Let's take a look now. We'll read verses 23 through 31. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. For a few have sinned. Please say no. Stop. <laughs> because you know what? That would change everything right there. I don't know why. It just hit me like a ton of bricks right there. If a few had sinned, then that means Jesus really wouldn't have to come. It would have been just those few that sinned that he really would have had. And if someone was able to be saved, it's not a big problem. But that's not the word, is it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. May God add a special blessing reading of his word. Let's just pause for prayer before we begin and go further. Father God, thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your perspective of the cross. How did you see it? As you designed this before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, to work this out, knowing fully everything before it happens, there's nothing that escapes your knowledge. You're fully, completely aware of everything at all times before there was time. Your sense of eternality is beyond us because we're finite. Thank you for allowing us to worship here today, to lift your name up, to glorify it. We would ask that the word would be used now by the Holy Spirit. He would be our teacher today. We would be receptive, our minds, our hearts, all of who we are would be open to seeing you more clearly than we've ever seen. Father, we'll thank you for what you're going to accomplish for these moments and the days ahead, because you are God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that we will, at least for this session, look at the cross from God's perspective, from his viewpoint, if you will. One of the things that's been age-long trying to figure out is... How do we get right with God? How can I be forgiven by God? And that really spawned or birthed religion. That's what the question is. How can we get with God? How can we be made right? How can we be forgiven? How can we get in touch with God? Those thoughts, those questions, really brought about all of these different isms, cults. Christianity is literally the only one that has a Savior that truly is able to save us from death. Religion comes up with a lot of ideas, doesn't it? And most of them, again, apart from Christianity, have a program. They'll sell you some works, some words, some things that you can do. Because we like to do things. That's what humans do. We do things. <laughs> I had one guy at a 
it was, I don't know why I even mentioned it, but ranching for profit, I was in Boise, Idaho, getting away a little bit from, you know, the, the normal place, and I'm there, and this guy said, he said, sometimes we work too hard without really taking a step back. He said, people, you're not human doings, you're human beings. <laughs> uh, his his, his uh, doctrine fell apart quickly thereafter, but nonetheless, I think we could do ourselves well to think that the more we're in tune with God, the better off we are before we just start doing things. But doing, doing, how does God see that? Well, we've got a problem. We noticed it in verse 23 of our text today that we've all sinned. And sin has a price. In fact, the wages of sin is death. Everyone dies because of sin. You think of our world today and all of the disease and the sickness and all of those things that are really overwhelming now today, probably more than ever. And we can cast and point fingers at a lot of different things and this and that and all of these. But, you know, literally, the root of it is sin. That's the base. That's, that's the problem. Because God said when he created in Genesis, it is good. He even said, it's very good. Aren't you glad he said that? Oh, this wasn't as good as I thought it could be. Hmm, I'll just leave it like it is. No, that's not what he said. It was perfect. <laughs> and then sin entered. We made a God change. Adam and Eve said, you know what? I think self would be better on the throne of my life than God. And we have been following that literally for centuries. In fact, let's take a look. Just I don't know why, but it popped in my mind. You're already in Romans. Just flip over to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is where it all started. It all started here. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That verse is so complete, there's nothing that leaves it out. There, do, you, do you see? There's no place for evolution in there. Did you notice that? Death came how? From sin. How? By Adam. Adam was, there, there's no lead up in evolution to Adam. Adam was created in God's own image, and death came when Adam sinned. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. So how does this cross come in? How does the cross come in? Um, now, the first we'll say is it literally, the cross from God's perspective or viewpoint is that it declares God's righteousness. The cross declares God's righteousness. And that seems, what? The cross declares God's righteousness. Yes, it does. In fact, let's go now. Let's read these uh, first couple of verses again and watch for the word righteousness. But being careful to how it leads into it, uh, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We'll slow down. Don't worry about it. Whom God hath set forth to be a $10 word propitiation through faith in his blood, watch now, here we go, to declare his righteousness. That took a whole lot of stuff to get to the, literally the cross declares God's righteousness. What do you mean by that? That is the only way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some words here up on the, oh, this is from two seekers the other night. I'm gonna, this is one of the things that it, it's problematic because the attributes of God, 
It isn't problematic. It seems that way. Um, let's list some of God's attributes. I'm looking for three on the side of another three that seem to be contradictive, if you will. So um, let's use the first one. I'll, I'll help you. Uh, righteousness. Okay? Righteousness. Excuse my writing, but most of you know it's not very good anyway. Righteousness. Uh, what else could we say about God? God is... Four-letter word starts with an H, ends in a Y, got a vowel and a letter. And then you say, holy. Yeah, I, I'm hoping all I can. Holy. Holiness. What else? And this is really important. This word you're going to come up with, we're going to help you with, is the sense of the cross. Its purpose really was because there's something that has to be, there's a penalty to be paid. Because God is sovereign, sovereign very true. He's also... Just. He's just. And he's sovereign. I like both answers are correct. In fact, that's what makes this so cool is that overarching all of this, Jeff's word actually sovereignty. God needs no one, needs nothing for any time of length, for any of anything. He is fully and completely 100% in control by himself. That's good to know. Now I just forgot my word. Justice. There we go. Justice. Okay, that sounds really cool, doesn't it? That makes our God really perfect. You guys are okay with that, right? Okay, what if you have someone that comes to you and they say, are you going to go to heaven? What, what's your future? What is it, what's your future plans? Um, as a matter of fact, yeah, I, I'm, I think I'll get to heaven. And why do you say that? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. I do my best. I try hard. I'm... <laughs> you, <laughs> now that's a buzzer, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you've heard it, haven't you? Yeah. In fact, that's what the world sells, correct? Yes. And what are they now? Do you, these three things? Now, okay, I'm talking God's righteousness, holiness, and justice, which is perfect. How does that sell? What did we just read? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That sounds like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of trouble. I, I don't know that I could plead that case in front of a God that's fully 100% righteous, which we can't even get, that's holy and just, and we say, you know, I think I'm okay. <laughs> what does that, now this is important, what does that make God if he says, you know what, I, I've kind of watched you. You're, you're, you're not bad. I think I'll go ahead and let you into heaven. Now that's another beep, right? Why? What have we just done? We have sacrificed his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice. But this person says, no, 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 stop. God is love. God is full of, starts with a G, ends with an E, grace. And another word that goes with it, grace is what we don't deserve. What's the other one? Somebody said it. Mercy. Mercy. That's what that person is depending on. And yet, how do you put that together? Does God one day, well, let's see, Mondays, Mondays we're going to work on righteousness, holiness, and justice. On Tuesdays, we're going to work on love, grace, and mercy. And on Wednesdays, so it depends on what day you die. I'm so sorry to say, I don't know which way it's going to be. It sounds difficult, doesn't it? How do you join that stuff? The cross. The cross. 
It's what makes it all fit together perfectly is how God knew what would have to happen to maintain everything that he is in the sense of righteousness, holiness, and justice, and still loving us so much, but he can't, he can't just forgive sin without a cost. There was a, there's a payment. There's a cost. Um, now, I don't know. All of you have different jobs. And when you work for, at your job, whatever it is, you receive pay because you've earned it. Remember that old, who was, what was that? We, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Who was that guy, right? There was like some stockbroker thing or something, right? We earn it. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you something. You cannot earn eternal life. It's impossible. What you earn is death. So God had a, you talk about having a problem. If you woke up on a Monday morning trying to figure out how we're going to get through this week, that one looks like a challenge. It looks like a challenge. Even Adam and Eve sin on one day. God says, where are you at? Well, um, we were, uh, well, quite honestly, we didn't have any clothes on. We were naked, and we were kind of embarrassed by all of that. Oh, really? Who told you that? And, you know, it just unfolds. No more walks in the garden. That's what death is, is a separation. Physically, first of all, what would it have been like to walk with God in the garden and the next day you're not walking with God ever in the garden again? Right? I'm looking forward to the back of the Bible. It says in Revelation that there's going to be no tears, no sorrow, no sin, no nothing. That All of the things that sin brought to us, it's over. In fact, I like to read the last part of Revelation chapters 21 and 22, then go to Genesis. Because it makes it all fit then, because the end of the story fixes the front of the story. And if we wouldn't have had a cross, couldn't have fixed anything. It declares God's righteousness. That cross that's in the middle of these two that really, really, literally enjoins really puts God's righteousness on full display. You talk about righteous. You talk about righteous. It's not only righteous in the sense of who he is, to actually instill love, grace, and mercy on a lost race, a lost human race that God made in his own design, his own image, is truly amazing. I think I would have just started over. Have you ever made something out of Legos? And you got done, you said, hmm, let's just start over. It would be easier, wouldn't it, than try to fix it. But God's... He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God can't change? I've said this a number of times, but Allah, the Muslim God, he has the ability, the, I guess, an attribute that allows him to change. I'm done. I'm out. Year 2021 which we've just passed. That's how far out of... It's 2022, Larry. Yes, it is. And to think that 100 years from now, or 1,000 years from now, or who knows how many years from now, all of a sudden, Allah says, you know what, I don't like it the way it was. I'm going to change that. Those people that flew into the Twin Towers and took lives that they perceived was for my good, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it that way anymore. Can you imagine? Do you see how important immutability is? knowing that God could put all this together, but he never changed his mind. 
We should be praising God just for that. He is who he is all the time. Um, just so we get an idea of what our righteousness is like, turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 64 for a moment. Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Wow. It looks like we need help. You better believe we need help. But the problem is, is that there's a requirement. There's a penalty due. In fact, let's go back to our text, in, uh, in, and let's, slow, let's go back and slow down a little bit. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 once again, and let's just start working our way through this. For all have sinned, verse 23, and come short of the glory of God. That's a problem. We've got a serious problem. Verse 24, being justified freely. Stop. Justified freely. That sounds really good. What does justified mean? These are review of terms, but these are all so, so condensed, so amazing in the sense of their importance. Do you want to be justified? Yes. Absolutely. If you don't, uh, we need to talk in private. <laughs> I, something's out of place. Either A, you don't know you're a sinner, which we can fix that. Just ask your husband or your wife or your kids, right? Justified. What does justified mean? Tell me. That, is, that, that, that would be the reference. In fact, when you're justified, it would be just as if you hadn't sinned. And even beyond that. Declared right. Declared right. Now, how many times are you justified? Is it every day? Do you wake up in the morning and say... I need to be justified today because I really had a crummy day yesterday and I did a lot of really bad things and I need to be justified today and tomorrow and, and some of us maybe even justified several times in the hour. Is that right? No, it's wrong. It's wrong. You're justified one time. You never see re-justified. When God does something, it's done. He's finished it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't have to die annually. He died once for all. Hebrews is really clear about that stuff. Now, if you, were, if you were a Jew and you came from that heritage, in the Old Testament, which the law, we'll be talking about later, the law really it was in place to show us we needed a Savior. The law could not save. Uh, the word actually to atone for, the day of atonement, was to cover sin. How did they cover it? With animals, animal sacrifice. The life is in the blood. We're gonna, we'll see that in just a moment here. But, but just think of that. That law then, the laws that God gave, not just the Ten Commandments, but I'm talking about the whole Levitical law and all of those circumstances surrounding that, literally showed us we've got a huge problem that we can't fix. And until it gets fixed, this is what we're going to show you that you need to come to me in faith. Literally, that was the purpose of the law. It wasn't so you could make more laws. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did, right? They just made more laws. Oh, that's nice. Let's make more that we can keep. Do you notice that? It's amazing how if we make the law, it's something that we really think we can keep. And they did a lot of that. They had, I don't know, bunches of laws. Justified. You're justified one time. You'll be declared not guilty. Not guilty, written right across your pedigree. What was the next word? Freely. That sounds really good. But it wasn't free. That's the difference. It wasn't free. Let's keep reading. To be declared righteous, 
freely. How? By his grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. If you just make an acronym out of that, God's riches at Christ's expense. You have been given a gift. A gift. Now, if you earn the gift, that means it wasn't a gift. Correct? It is a gift, unmerited, unsolicited. It was literally given to you. Now you have a choice. You can either receive it or not receive it. That's, that's what a gift is. There's only two. It's not like, well, I think I'll think about it for a while. What does that mean? See, there's people that take salvation. And they say, you know, that sounds good, but I've got a lot of time. I'll get back to you later on that. What is that? That's a no. There is only two answers, yes or no. There's no later, no waiting. I'll hang around. I'll see. I'll check out. No, it's no or yes. By grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Let's keep rolling. Through, oh, he's going to tell how we're going to get grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ, Christos, anointed, the Messiah. This is coming through him. Redemption. Um, now, that word, the, way, the way it sometimes fits easier for me is that's ransom. That's ransom. Let's say that someone kidnapped your child. And they put a price. Ah, it's a ransom. And to get the child back, they make a demand. Well, sin has made a demand. And there's a payment to be made. And it was set. The price was set. And it's death. Hmm, that's a problem, isn't it? Well, let's go back to that. Uh, let's say that someone kidnaps your child, and they want $2 million within 48 hours. Uh, did you wrap your head around that one? Let's go ahead and say it's $100 million. Ooh. <laughs> did you see the life? Oof. Uh, what am I going to do about that? You know what? You can take the largest number conceivable, and that would be what sin was holding hostage, you. You had no way to pay it. You had no one you knew that could handle it. There's no possible way or pattern that's ever been done before to rescue from the throes of sin of which you inherited it. We read in chapter 5, verse 12 of Romans. You got this. This is in your DNA. You come with a sin package. Oh, man, that's like the lights go out, right? But Jesus was worthy enough to pay it. And you're would he? <laughs> yes, he would. Why would God do that? Here's our words. It's all who he is. He's all love, all mercy, all full of grace. He's also righteous, holy, and justice. He can't let sin be slid under the carpet. He can't just let you, yeah, you know, I kind of like you. I kind of think you're okay. I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to let you come into heaven just because I like you. No, because he would cease to be everything else that he is. God doesn't take a time out. That's a lot of dough, isn't it? Nobody would qualify. Nobody would qualify. In fact, without Jesus, you qualify for eternal separation from God. Just, just by default. No, I don't want Jesus. I don't want any. I just want justice. Now, I'll tell you what, if you put a circle around justice... Without the cross, without Jesus, you will go to hell. That's not my words. That's what it says. Is that harsh? It's real. 
God didn't make it for men. He made it for the devil and the angels. But if you see yourself being able to do your own thing and plead your case before the God Almighty, that's what happens. That's what happens. Let's keep going. Man, this is, there's so much going on here. Whom, verse 25, in other words, it's, now this is focused on Christ Jesus. Let's, let's take our verse, let's read it. Being justified, being declared not guilty freely by His grace, unmerited favor, through the ransom that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth, God set forth. Did you see that? This is God's idea. In fact, how much of this idea of salvation is yours? Zero. <laughs> Zero. To be a propitiation. Did you use that this week? Did you, did you go in and uh, I went into the Napa store. No, I did not. This is a lie. But I'm just going to say how we could use it. So I go into the Napa store and I say, guys, um, did I propitiate my account? And I think Colby would say, What? Propitiation means satisfy or to satisfaction. It's paid. It's full. It's nothing left. There's nothing remaining. Man, again, a full word. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Jesus Christ fits everything needed for us to escape the penalty of sin of which we're plagued. And it all shows, us, uh, and it all shows God's righteousness. It shows his righteousness. Bill, you seem to coming from personal experience there. Right? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, there's sense. There's a, yeah, there's a sense of satisfaction, isn't there? Hopefully, this will work. But you know what? The really good thing was with Jesus, it worked, one hundred percent. There was not. I hope this works. Now, how do we know that it was good enough? I mean, I'm jumping way outside the box now. But this cross, which joined love, grace, and mercy, righteousness, holiness, and justice, bring it all together. God's attributes never fail for one mega millisecond. How do we know that it worked? I mean, it sounds like a great plan. God, I really like what you're doing, but how do I know that it really worked? That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today, because Christ arose. If he had not arose, bad news. <laughs> that was a, it looked good, but it wasn't good enough, because for him not to rise would have meant that that cross was not adequate. It was not satisfactory for what was required of God's penalty phase for sin that man had entered into. But he did. He arose. Hallelujah. Amen. And a couple more. That's the power that's in the cross. That's the power in the cross. His righteousness is on display. But let's even go further now. There's a little bit more. Um, here's where it really gets interesting. So we've actually went to the second one. It declares God's righteousness and it magnifies his grace. The cross magnifies his grace. Prior to the cross, no one could really fully comprehend the grace that God immeasurably was going to pour out. Now, it's interesting. Let's go back to this for a moment. Let's go to uh, Genesis. We could dive into some other people while you're turning there. I was a little bit, I don't know if this fits or not, but I think it will. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Oh, I know I'll be using it later maybe too, but Genesis chapter 6. And uh, let's take a look. We'll start in verse 5. This is Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This, this is a day on the earth that it probably is worse than it is today. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. 
And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8. But Noah, read it, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is not just a New Testament concept. <laughs> How did Abraham, what was it counted? He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 15 about. How about Moses? You find it found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace has always been the focus. Because apart from grace, you would think that mankind could have brought a works program. He could have done something. That's what made religion so popular, so over the top, because that allows mankind to do something to get closer to God. And I've, I'm actually fairly certain that they really don't even get a grasp on this. To even think we could even think about trying to work our way towards a God that is totally righteous, holy, and just blows my mind. Can't be. Can't be. Grace. But how do we get grace? This is important. It's like the other thing is you just go, you go get your package of grace and you take it home and you put it in the safe and you use it when you need it at the very end of your life. You say, because of God's grace, I am going to go to heaven. It's like this box. You take it. Well, how do you take it? How do you know that you got it? How do you know you have God's grace? Let's keep reading. Back in Romans. Sorry, I took you to Genesis. Back to Romans chapter 3. Let's start at verse 24 again. There's so much. Being justified, being declared righteous freely by His grace, God's unmerited favor, through the ransom redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a satisfaction Oh, oh, here it is. I have an underline in my Bible. How? Through faith. Through faith in his blood. Okay, big question. What's the right kind of faith? This sounds like if, if you've taken these two verses and you see all this stuff unfolding and unpacked and we've got them laying all out there, what's the key? Faith. In fact, what, let's, what, let's just look at this. Look for the word faith. Or it's corollary, believeth, we'll find it. Uh, look, at, look at this now. We find the first faith in verse 25, through faith. Verse 26, which believeth in Jesus, that's faith. Verse 27, the law of faith. Verse 28, by faith. Do you think faith's important? You better believe it. So we got to know if we have the right kind of faith. How do we know we have the right kind of saving faith? In other words, the kind that we can receive grace. That's a good question, isn't it? Because if we get that wrong, we're in trouble. Now, there's a lot of people, again, if you were just going to go downtown Sheridan, Bozeman, Butte, Phoenix, it doesn't matter where, and you say, are you going to go to heaven? And I, most people want to go to heaven, right? There'd be a few that, eh, I don't believe in any of that stuff, okay? But those that do, tell me why. Why? Why do you think you are going to go to heaven? And they'll come up with all kinds of different things. It's amazing how few will actually get it this way. I've got to have God's grace, which was administered because of the cross, because of God's love, grace, and mercy, and still being able to hold his righteousness, holiness, and justice together. He had a penalty phase of which Jesus, the one that had no sin, bore on the cross so that I could receive grace by faith. Whoa. That's it. That's the deal. What does faith look like? Let's, say, let, let's look at some things that it doesn't look like. It doesn't necessarily have to be. I'm going to list some things we're going to go through. And these are things that you may have heard 
prove salvation, but we want to, it doesn't necessarily. What, what do you think, on a, just on a daily basis, we talked about Abraham, what do you think on, in his daily life and a practical level, he's thinking, what do you think he was thinking about? He said he was saved by faith, but what do you think Abraham was going through in his thought patterns as far as salvation? I mean, what did he think, what do you think he was dealing with? You know, has, has, as himself, and what he's thinking, I, I don't know. Okay, I want to be sure to say that because if I can get in Abraham's head, we can do a lot of things here. <laughs> okay. But I know God that made it so that Abram could have been counted for righteousness because he believed God. That was something that I think is key, a key component, Paul, is the fact that Abram believed what God said. And he didn't have the Bible. I mean, God would appear to him, okay? First time, one of the first times, at least that I'm aware of, in the scriptures anyway, Abram, I want you to go to a land you've never seen, and I'll show you when you get there. I think that's a time out here, buddy, right? This is where my family is. This is where all my... It's, what, what do you mean you're going to show me? No maps, no discussions, just go. And you know what he did? He went. That's called what? Belief. And his, I mean, we talked about it last week, that little, f the faith, the size of a seed of a mustard seed, Jesus talked about. But what does that mustard seed do? It grows. And it grows. And it grows. And it grows. We talked about this at True Seekers. We were, we were talking about that phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. You know, for us as humans, that sometimes when that good doesn't feel good, doesn't seem like that's right, Correct. But if you're a Christian and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that happens to you, God works together for your good. So the question I asked the group that night was this. I can't quite get... Anyway, the author of this book, his wife was in the hospital with a very rare kind of a stroke, like five in a million. Okay? And on comes this, this statement that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And he just inside his mind, he said, I know that's true, but it's really hard for me to get it right now. Right? You've been there, haven't you? Please say, it doesn't, you know, it's just, we're just that way. And he was struggling with that. We do at times. And yet there's Romans 8.28. For all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Right? So at the end, so... Someone said, I said, oh, I know, I know what we did. I was struggling. Did you notice I was struggling? Could you tell? I was struggling. I was struggling. So then I'm thinking, it just popped in my mind, and we went back to Job. Job chapter 1. Job wasn't inside on this conversation between Satan and God, right? And we, we walked through it. We read that chapter, and I, I know this has probably not a lot to do with where we're at today, but it does because it has to do with faith. And you can just watch everything that Satan said. You, you take away the stuff. You treat him like a prince. God, what do you expect him to do? I mean, he's your favorite one. Why wouldn't he worship you? Come on, get real. Take his stuff and you'll find out what he's really made of. How did I sound like? Did I sound like that? That's pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, anyway, he takes, and Satan took all that stuff. Have you ever heard of the act of God? You got wind, you got hail, you got all that stuff. Those winds, those immense fires, all of that destruction was not at the hands of God. Mark it clearly. Satan did that allowed by God, and he takes all his stuff away. 
You have, you have 10 kids. They're gone. One day. Boom. Gone. Dead. Over. All your sheep. All your everything. Gone. Over. Nothing left. And he says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped. It said he fell down and worshiped. And I asked this question to the kids, and I, I don't know which one it was. I'm not going to pick on anybody. But it was like, I said, what made him do that? What made that man do that? I said, I don't know if I could do that. It might take me a little while. There'd be some whining phases going on first. You know what they answered? They answered correctly. His faith. Bingo. So then the question I asked, which took the rest of the evening to, to, to describe and work on, was this. How does your faith grow? How does God grow your faith? How does God grow your faith? Trials. Trials. That's exactly right. That's where we came to. Count it all joy, brother, when you fall into various trials. That's exactly the deal. Now, let's come back to Abram. <laughs> Paul, you didn't know where I was going, did you? But I'm, I'm finally back to Abram. But you know what? Abram, when he first left to go, that was, a, that was a small seed. That was a mustard seed because he didn't have a lot to risk, right? He's going to move. How many of you have moved? A lot of us have moved, right? And, you know, we just move. And, in fact, it's easier to move now than ever. For Abram, it wasn't that easy. It was a 900-mile trip. I don't know how long it took, but it's a long time, I'm sure. But you know what happened to him? You watch his life, and you can see that faith, that mustard seed of faith grow and grow and grow. When he went to Egypt, and he said to his wife, he said, honey, I tell you what, let, let's just kind of think about this for just a second, okay? You're beautiful. You know, you really are, honey. I mean, you really are. Here's a rose to prove it, right? right. I'm trying to go, go over what you're going on. And, and then Egypt, he says, that, but these people, what you need to do, just, just for me, just think about me for a second, um, is you shouldn't maybe say that you're my wife. Because I think it could be trouble for me, quite honestly. Um, are you okay with that, honey? Well, what does that do to her? She's fair game, right? That's who Abram was along the trail. But I wonder, as far as the, the, the justice issue, did he have any idea what, how God was going to take care of Sid? I, I, don't, I, mean, I, I don't know that he, he does not, Abram would have not known anywhere near what we know today. We're on the other side of the cross. We have the full Bible. We have the full counsel of God. But he believed God, and God told him things, one of those which, I'm going to send you. I'm going to make descendants as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And it's going to come through that one son. Now, it took, again, did you see his faith waver? He waited 25 years. How many of you have waited 25 years for your first child? And by the way, you're 100 when that one comes. <laughs> Whew. Our last one, I don't know how old I was, but he just about got us. He never slept ever. I'm thinking Isaac was a sleeper. I don't know why, but I think he was a sleeper. His mother's 90 and his father's 100. Oh, man, right? I can't wait for the grandkids, honey, right? <laughs> Maybe it worked out perfectly. Good idea. Okay. Back to the, but, but the point of the matter is, God's justice and everything that Abram knew about God was wrapped up in this very same thing we're talking about right now. Do I believe God or do I not believe God? Abram, everything he knew of God, he believed him and it was counted for righteousness. It comes to the same thing. When someone understands the gospel, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, probably one of the greatest theologians in this country. Okay, whatever. He was, he was a great man of God. Told it like it was. He was a man of truth. <laughs> right? 
For 22 years, he ministered the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God in a church in Northampton for 22 years. At the end of 22 years with that man, Jonathan Edwards, pastoring that church, he was voted out by the congregation because he said, really, according to the Word of God, that anyone or no one should take communion if they're not, have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they threw him out. That's crazy, isn't it? But I, what I, my point is this. Here's a man that ministered there for 22 years, the whole counsel of God, and literally the eyes were blinded yet. There was unconverted at the end of his reign, uh, reign I mean, of, of his tenure to the, from the beginning. And that's exactly how Satan loves to work, is to blind the eyes of those. What we're talking about today, you say, Larry, that's so basic. That's so Yes, it is. Once you've been given the gift of faith. Let's talk about that for a moment. How are we doing on Abram? Are we, getting, are we doing okay? Okay. Because for Abram, whatever he needed to know was based upon the fact how he, relate, how he responded to God's word. When he believed it, everything was right there. When he disbelieved it, guess what? You got a Hagar. You got a mad wife. You got a son that's illegitimate. You've got the whole break. You see what I'm saying? When he believed God, now that doesn't mean it went without trials because you've just answered, the way God grows our faith is through trials. How did, how did Abram literally get to that chapter in Genesis where it says that God told him to offer up his son? If he was still back there when he was just traveling, he would have said, I'm out on this deal. This isn't mine. But his faith had grown a little bit at a time. He'd believe God all the way along that way. And then he could literally say this, as it says in the New Testament, when he lifted his hand with a knife in it to slay his son, he believed because God said it would come through that son, even if he killed him that he would have to bring him back to life because it was all up to God to fulfill his word. That's faith. That's faith. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on that one. But what did he do? Just reacted But he knew that was, there was a promise to his lineage that was... And that's the he key. He believed God. How do we come to Jesus Christ? How do we come to faith? How do, we, how do we come to the cross? Through faith. Now, let's make sure we understand this. Because it's, we don't bring anything to this, to this party. There isn't anything we bring to this. There isn't anything. If you're going to bring something to help God, and I remember on an occasion, I'm gonna, this, you know, we're not even going to finish this today, are we? Yeah, we will. We will. We're, we're, pff, you guys are you're, you're here for the duration. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. But someone came one time. It was up on the, at the bench in the farm, and... Uh, they, we, we got into a discussion, and uh, I got to really make this short, though. And it was the, the point was, I said, everything that needs to be done, Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. It was God's plan. It was God's, literally, the penalty that was, that was borne by our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you bring to this. It just freaked him out. Just freaked him out. Well, you have to do your part. I said, what part didn't Jesus do? Well, right? They couldn't get it. And then when I went to James chapter 2, verse 10, I said, take your Bible and just flip it open. Go to James 2.10. Let's do that for a moment. I want you to find it in your Bible. Get my glasses. James 2.10. And so they read it. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point 
he is guilty of all. And I still, I will never forget that person just took like three steps back. And I said, what does that mean? Uh, uh, I, I said, it's really important you understand that. You see, there's nothing you bring. There's nothing in you. Jesus did it all. He did it all. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's make sure we understand this. Even faith is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That we've heard in Romans, haven't we? For by grace are you saved through faith. And look, and that, see the semicolon pointing back to faith? And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That was the verse I told them. I said, that's kind of important to where your, where your mind is going right now. And it just blew their mind. And they just left. I said, okay, shoot, let's pray. No, I got I to gotta go. You know what they were going? They were going to go talk to someone in their organization that hopefully could get them through that. Right? You know what? The only thing that can get you through that is the cross. That's it. The cross. The cross. Let's... Uh, Let's look at some things that don't necessarily mean you have the right kind of faith. There'd be a list. They don't prove anything. Now, some of these may seem a little bit, whoa. Let's start with the first one. If you met somebody that has a visible morality, and those are good, kind, gentle, loving, tender-hearted people. With relationships, nice, nice people. But want nothing to do with God. Beep. Who's, who's? Nice people to be around. You know them, don't you? I have a number of them and I pray for them. But that doesn't mean that they've got the kind of faith we're talking about that's necessary to receive salvation. That's what I'm talking about now. Right? They probably have faith in their goodness, right? That would be the person I could think of coming to me and saying, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I mean, I gave to this organization and I stepped out and offered my time here and, I, and, I, and I've been with my, with my wife for a very long period of time and I have kids and they're all, you know, you can go on and on and on. That doesn't mean anything, really. It's not bad. In fact, are you still in Ephesians, by the way? Uh, let's read verse 10. Oh, I'm in Romans. Sorry, let's go back to Ephesians. This lines up perfectly. So let's read again verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now watch verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Why are you saved? You are ordained into good works. It's an after the fact, if you will. Okay? Nothing, by the way, nothing wrong with visible morality. Don't walk away. Larry said that. We shouldn't even... No, no, no. A thousand times no. No. Because that's literally the fruit of salvation. The fruit. Let's go to the second one. Not only is it not proven that the visible morality, but also intellectual knowledge. Just because, I mean, people have a tremendous understanding of the Bible. They understand what it says, how it, how it, how it parts, how it is, and all of that. You know what? That doesn't prove anything. Because it belongs, what do you believe? Now, it requires, it requires biblical knowledge. It requires intellect, but it doesn't prove salvation. There's two. I can't even read my writing. Um, 
This is bad, and you can't read your own writing, right? Oh, okay, okay, I know where we're going. If you've been from some, they said, well, I'm very religious. Very, very religious. That's why I'm going to go to heaven. I'm religious. What does that mean? doesn't mean anything. Let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. He takes this up. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. Just because someone be religious doesn't necessarily prove anything. In fact, what is religion? If you were going to describe it, t- tell me the difference between Christianity. When I'm saying Christianity, it's not just that, that household word. I'm talking about this Christianity where Christ is on a cross. He's died for us. He's paid the penalty, and he rose from the dead. That's Christianity. Okay? Tell me the difference between that and just religion. Reaching up, right? Reaching up to God. And Christianity is God reaching down to man. Which one would you rather be part of? (laughs) That one's easy, isn't it? That one's easy. Number four, active ministry. I'm busy. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Remember Balaam? He was a prophet. He said a lot of things. Which side of the court was he on? The wrong side. How about, think of Saul of Tarsus. I didn't say Paul, I said Saul. Was he active? Was he engaged? Was he a ministry guy? You bet I'm killing every Christian I can find. Right? He's zealous, on fire, but very wrong. Did he have saving faith? This is key. No. You see, zealousness or tenacity or very dedicated sincerity. I'm very sincere. You're sincerely wrong if you don't have Christ. Right? Number five. This one here is, uh, this one here is, is harder maybe to even describe, but the sense of a conviction of sin. In other words, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that feel guilty from sin. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. In fact, now we've got a whole society that has changed the course of what you do with people that are convicted of guilt. You tell them they shouldn't be guilty. You tell them that it's not their fault, that it's someone else's fault. And what we need to do is get you into training and seminars that we really need to work on your self-esteem. We need to pump self up. We've got to make you feel better about who you are. It makes it worse, right? Doesn't that make it worse? Because self is the enemy. We've already got that. And by the way, people love to go to those seminars. And they're big selling books. How to look out for number one. Pff, that one will sell. Just name it right. It'll, I don't even care what's in it. Right? So conviction of sin doesn't necessarily mean that someone has the right kind of faith. Which one was that? Number five. Okay. Oh, in fact, you remember... Uh, in fact, let's go to, let's go to James. Hold your spot. We'll be right back. Go to uh, James chapter 2, verse 19, thinking about the ultimate in the sense of being convicted. Uh, James 2, verse 19. <clears throat> James 2, 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Oh, that's good. That thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. 
They know what their day, they know their day is coming. And number six, assurance. Well, I just, I feel like I'm a Christian. Because I think I'm a Christian. Now, that means nobody should ever be deceived. Because if you just have to think you're a Christian, that means that that's all you have to do is to think you're a Christian. Then you should feel like you're a Christian. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I could, think, I could name many people. There was one that said that he saw an angel of light that started a cult. I saw an angel of light. What does the Bible say about that? Yeah. Satan can appear as an angel of light. You see, it's not about feeling. It's not about thinking. It doesn't prove anything. Number seven, a time of decision. It doesn't prove anything. In other words, you can go back in history and say, well, on that certain day, on July 17th of 1962, well, let's, that's pretty old, um, 1984, I made a decision. I don't know. Now you're saying, whoa, you're really getting out there now. Well, it doesn't. My point is that these things don't prove anything. It doesn't prove anything. So is that enough? You, you want me, should we say the seven again one more time? Or you got them? What was the first one? You guys can tell me. Number one? Visible morality. Visible morality. And you, really, you really look the part. I mean, it's, things are working. You're, you're a nice guy, nice girl, gal. Everything is fantastic. But that doesn't mean you're safe. Number two? Intellectual knowledge. Now, by the way, both of these two should be part of a Christian, but it doesn't make you one. Just knowing the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Number three. Religious. religious. You're very religious in nature. Okay? Doesn't prove anything. In fact, you might be one of those that's trying to reach up to God, which have we read clearly enough now that works? You can't get there. There's no, no works are going to get you there. Number four. Active ministry, you're busy, busy doing stuff for other people. Saul of Tarsus, he's, he's the key example. Talk about what do you think his life was like for the rest of it? After, oh, I can't believe I wasted all of his years fighting the very master, Jesus. Number five. Conviction of sin. Conviction of sin. What we do with that is really critical. Now, there's nothing wrong with conviction of sin, but if we're just trying to get rid of it or do it in another way and even maybe... Tie on to a different way of life. Getting rid of sin just to feel better about it. That doesn't make you saved. Number six. Assurance. Assurance. In other words, I just feel like I'm a Christian. I've got to be a Christian if I feel like it, right? Like that guy that I, I told you last week. Uh, I just have to have faith. He was, he was struggling with cancer. I just have to, I have to have faith. And he kept saying, faith. i got to have faith. I said, well, faith? Faith in what? Uh, Faith, I just got to have faith. So in other words, the answer was faith in his faith, which means it could only be as strong or as big as his faith in his faith, which means it's not enough. Number seven. Time of decision. decision. Now that one I know is probably throwing some of you. I mean, if that was a special moment back there and you've written it down in your Bible, and but you know what? It doesn't prove anything. Might have been an emotional moment. Now let's, let's dial in and let's find out. These are things that truly tell us that this is faith that is a saving faith. Okay? Let's start. Number one. Number one. Let me find my notes. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 7. I think you're already in verse, chapter 3. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans 8, 7. And I know we're just diving in. I apologize, but you guys can do your own 
uh, contextual work later today. Verse 7, chapter 8 says, for, um, verse 7, because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the one that's not saved, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And you say, well, okay, what does that prove? The person that has saving faith will love God. There is a love for God that will be instilled within them. They can't really operate without loving God. They want to do what God loves to do. Okay? Again, these things are a direction of life. Be careful that, that you don't misunderstand me today. I'm not asking, we're not looking at perfection, but we're looking at direction. In other words, if you got saved today, a year from now, there's a direction that would show that you love God more than you did when you got saved. Okay? And there's different rates. There's different passages that, uh, and, and acceleration courses. But if you, if you don't love God, well, in fact, here's, here's the verse I was going to share with you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. This is what we're doing right now, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. You should write this one down. This is what we're doing presently at this very moment. Examine yourselves. Chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Isn't that exactly right? Make sure of your faith. So, loving God. Loving God. How much do you love God? Not a, now, by the way, this is tricky now. Listen to this one. Not a selfish attitude in where you're thinking about yourself and you love God, quote, love God enough so that he's sort of the end of that means to make you more happy. In other words, God, yeah, I'll... What was, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yours as long as I can get that thing taken care of. You know, do business with God, if you will. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking an earnest love for God and his things. Okay, the second one is actually the opposite side of that is if you love God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to hate the things God hates. Now, that'll divide some stuff, Right? In other words, the things that God says he hates, like lying and pride. Oh, he hates pride it, with a passion. He hates lying. He hates deception. Did you notice I've said about two different, those two he really hates. Do you hate it that bad? Do you hate what God hates? If you do, that's saving faith. That's showing that the, tra now, so far, do you know, we, if we were going to use a word for the first seven we talked about that doesn't prove anything, that's reformation. We're talking about regeneration. There's a man, I'm going to leave his name out, but you've been praying for he and his wife. And he got, he made a decision for Christ. Tough, tough guy. I mean, rough and tough. It was a situation where there was a death. And God used that to open his heart. Now, his journey has been slow. But I'm listening and you guys have prayed for this family. He and his wife actually got separated over some of the things that are in his life. I'm here to tell you that your prayers continuing don't stop now. And you say, well, how come God knows who you're praying for? They're back together, which I think is a miracle. Quite honestly, a miracle. You know what? I'm seeing a change in that man that's regeneration, not reformation, not trading favors with God. Literally, his life is changing from the inside out. That's saving faith. That's saving faith. Number three, genuine humility. When humility becomes just who you are, it's a product. You, don't, you can't chase it, 
But the more that you think about God, the more you hate the things God hates, the deeper your roots go in the sense of humility. Pride is the natural. That's the self-made religion. But when we have self-denial, when we're interested more in other people, in God's glory, in God's plans, guess what happens? Humility takes place. Now, if you get to the point and you look and uh, wow, I can't believe how humble I am now. Whoops, that one just levated you. It's gone, it's over. You can, you'll have to start all over again, return back to the beginning, right? But humility marks a saving faith, really does. That's why it's so, it's so antithetical for a Christian to be proud. It's so not the way God wants it. Isn't that true? It sticks out, doesn't it? Humility. Humility. Number one, love for God. Number two, to hate what God hates. Three, a genuine humility. Oh, in fact, James is really working for us today. Let's go to James chapter 4 just to pound that home a little bit. James chapter 4. Let's look at verse 6. James 4, 6. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Exactly. Think of the prodigal son. I'm not going to go there, but in Luke chapter 15, there is one that went the full circle, right? Who is he thinking of when he went to his father? He says, Father, old buddy, old pal, I know someday I'm going to get an inheritance. I just as soon get it now. And his father relented and said, okay. And he goes away, spends it all. It's all gone. He's feeding pigs for a living. In fact, the pig food looked pretty good, which tells you what? He's in deep trouble. But what was it that literally brought him back to the Father? Pride? No. No, no, no. A thousand times no. You know how many times pride keeps us, keeps someone from coming to Jesus Christ? It's amazing. Pride is the level that will separate men from God. But that man, young man said, what? I don't deserve anything. But I know this much. My father's servants, of which I'm probably not even worthy to be one of those, eats better than I do. I'm going to go back and become one of his servants. That's humility. That's humility. Humility. Number four. Um, where is that in Colossians? Whatsoever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink. Let's see if I can find it real quick. That really, let's see. I think it's chapter three. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Does anybody know? I'm not going to find it. Oh, there it is. Verse 17. Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father by Him. What are you doing? You're devoted to God's glory. Whatever we're doing, we're interested in God receiving glory. Not us, God. Everything we do is to elevate and to bring glory to God. That would be a picture of saving faith. Number five. What do you do when things go wrong? What do you do when things go right? What do you do when things are just okay? What do you do... Do you know where I'm going? How much do you pray? How, what did you say? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. And that's all part of prayer, isn't it? What a great way to start praying and to get your mind and your heart in the right is thanking God for everything of where you are, what he's given to you, for the cross, for the resurrection, all of that. But when you're praying at all times, all times, I'm serious, at all times, I'm talking to God about everything all the time. That tells me that the relationship is so deep that you want to be close to God. That's a saving faith. Now, I used to be, just be honest, 
I prayed a lot more when I was in trouble than it was really good. Have you ever had, have you ever had times like that? That's kind of how the Israelites worked, right? Oh, yeah, it's going really good. See you later, God. Uh, oh, wow, the Egyptians are having us make bricks, and we've got to go get our own straw and our own mud. This is terrible. God, where are you, right? No, I'm talking about wherever you're at, whatever God, wherever your passage journey is, that you're talking to God continually. That's a picture of saving faith. Number six. Let's go to uh, first John, or John chapter 13. John, the Gospel of John, 13, and I'm going to have to find this verse. I think it's 34, but we'll see if... Yeah, verse 34. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment, he's speaking to his disciples, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. The sixth one is selfless love. Literally, your love is something that's not even containable. As God loves you, that, now this, what would we call this kind of love? That's agape love. Agapao. Selfless. Un, I mean, just, you can't even get your handle on it. And I'm not saying that you have something like that. But a husband and a wife, you know, that, that's the closest. In Ephesians chapter 4, the sense of that husband is asked literally to give his life for his wife. Whatever it takes. And it was based on what? It was based on this. It was based on Jesus Christ giving his life for the church. That's selfless love. That's selfless love. That does not come short of saving faith. The last one, number seven, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And let's look at verse 15. Something else should be taking place. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it says... Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Number seven is a separation from the world. Now, I'm not talking about being isolated, but insulated. I mean, you can't live as a hermit away from the world, but the fact is that you're so in tune with loving God, hating the things he hates. Uh, help me, number three. Humility. Humility, yeah. You're doing this humbly. And number four. You're devoted to him, to him getting glory. Number five? Prayer. prayer. I mean, who, you're talking to God all the time, right? Number six? Selfless love. You know what? It gets easier to separate yourself from the world. Now, those symptoms, those details prove a saving faith. And you, did you see how much stuff we're packing into today? We have two quick points to make that, that We've looked at the cross from God's perspective or his viewpoint. The first one was, it's too far ago, too long ago, wasn't it? <laughs> we gave you so much stuff. Are you guys overwhelmed right now? No one's doing anything. I mean, yes, the answer is yes. What was the first thing from God's perspective? It was declare his, I'm going to help you out a little bit, righteousness. When he put Jesus on the cross, it literally declared for all the world to see how righteous he truly is. And how he ties everything together, not ceasing to be holy or just, it declared his righteousness. Followed by number two, it exalts his grace. That Jesus hanging on that cross, bearing all of our sins, and for three hours, God having to turn his back on his very essence, God the Son, blows my mind. Number three, which we just we're going to finish up quickly now, is God's consistency. God is very, very consistent. This is what he started from in the Old Testament. If you go back to chapter 3 of Genesis, he already talked about the fact that he was going to ascend a redeemer. Someone's going to squash the serpent's head. 
was hundreds and hundreds of years later. Same message. Extremely consistent. Extremely consistent. Let's check something here. Yeah, we've already talked about Noah. See, we cut some of that stuff in there. And lastly, let's go to verse 31 of, of uh, Romans chapter 4, 3, I'm sorry. Let's read this passage now. All that we've learned, let's put it all back into place. Are you ready? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bummer. Being justified, that is to be declared righteous freely. How? By His grace, unmerited favor, through the ransom, the redemption, the price that was paid in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the satisfaction through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for what? For the remission of sins that are passed from the Old Testament through the forbearance of God. It wasn't, it wasn't dealt with. He saw it being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now watch verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles only. Uh, I'm sorry, of the Gentiles also. Now see, there would be this separation of thought. In the Old Testament, the Jews would have been under the Levitical law, correct? I mean, all of these things that you, these rites and, and ceremonies that you have to do. But you know what? All it was doing was showing the Israelites and the rest of the world that they fell woefully short from the sin that was in their lives, and there had to be something beyond the fact of just killing a lamb, a bullock, or a dove. It was life was in the blood, but it would take someone that not just to cover it once a year, but to die once, and it would be taken up forever. And that was Jesus Christ. He's the God of everyone. The Jews must come the same way. See, today, there's, there's a, a remnant that's being saved in Israel. There's a remnant of the Jews that is being saved. That's the word that would be used in the, in, the, in the scriptures. They as a whole have missed Jesus. They've missed him. In fact, they're looking forward to having a temple that I've heard they're even beginning to build. I don't know if that's true, but they have the materials to build a temple to get back to having a temple to do sacrifices. Whoa, now that's missing Jesus, isn't it? He did all that work. It's over. It's done. What an amazing, amazing plan that God had. Let's go to verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Both of them have come through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. We establish the law. The very essence that Jesus Christ was on that cross proved the value and the validity of the law. God, by his very standards, made Jesus pay the price. He didn't forgive just on the whims and the merits of that person. It was on the basis of the law, which actually confirms the law. So those four points from God looking at the cross, his perspective, number one was to declare righteousness. Number two, to exalt grace. Number three, shows his consistency. And number four, confirms the law. That's how God saw the cross. Aren't you glad he saw it that way before we even knew about it? It's amazing. But I want to close with one passage of scripture because of the cross and the resurrection this is what I want to read for you today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what keeps us going. This is what keeps us rolling. The cross is how we got saved. 
But how do we keep going? On your way through, I'm sorry. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 first. Because let's go back. Remember, we were talking about those, those things about faith. I'm sorry, just a second. Um, you know, sometimes it's over where you say, man, remember those seven things we talked about saving, saving faith? You don't. You remember any of them. Okay, number one. Number one was loving God. Yeah, I love God. I want God to be my everything. And that means, number two, I hate what God hates. I hate pride. I hate all of the things that God hates. Number three, I don't remember. Uh, humility. humility. <laughs> oh, so humble. No, 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 right? <laughs> okay, but you know where I'm going. Humility. Number four. Yeah, just thinking about God's glory. Number five. Prayer. prayer. All the time, continually engaged in prayer. Six. Selfless. Selfless love. Number seven. Separation from the world. Okay. Those things right there, and you say, I don't do any one of those really, really well, right? You can, I can, right? I can pick myself apart. You can pick yourself. But here's the deal. You're not asked to be perfect. You're asked to progress. And this is why we can count on it. This is a promise that I want you to grab a hold of because this goes on every single moment. After you've trusted Christ as Savior, that little mustard seed of faith God is going to work on. He's going to work on it through trials. He's going to work on it from his pattern, from his level of progress that makes you what he, wa- what he wants you to be, which is what? To be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to look like Jesus just a little bit more every single day. Amen. Every single day, right? So let's look at this. This verse you need to know. This is one that keeps you going when you feel crummy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Are you all there? Here we go. Philippians 1, 6. I hear pages rustling. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6. Written by the man, Paul, who's on a cruise in the Bahamas. No, wait a minute. He was in prison, wasn't he? He was, he was having a horrible life. No, he wasn't. It's a book about joy. Philippians 1, 6. Here we go. Being confident, you can trust in this, of this very thing, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, he gave you the faith to get you saved, and you will perform it when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not giving up on you. He's there for you every minute of every single day. I need that. I needed it yesterday. I felt, oh, man. You turn to that and you read it. He's working on me. He's not giving up on me. I'm worthy to continue the work in. So let's read 1 Corinthians. That's what he means when he says, work out your own salvation for it is God That's right, because it's an inside job. It's an inside job. We're not talking about reformation. We're talking about regeneration. Amen. Cannot happen. And I've, I've heard people say this. Well, I'm so, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I got to kind of clean up my life a little bit, and then I can come to God. No, no, stop. That's how you got there. It was, it was yourself. Just let God take right where you're at. He can handle it. Trust me. He can handle anything you've got to dish out. Just stop. Stop shoveling. Let him have it. Okay, here we go. Promise. This is it. Right, you say. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going we're gonna to read a few verses. Verse 20. We'll start there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise God. 
Then let's go over to verse 51. We'll read this to the end of the chapter. This is what keeps us moving. This is what makes us do what God wants us to do. Verse 51, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immorality, immortality rather, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, because of all of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You want a life passion? You want a life verse? Those two verses. I read it at my, um, my mother's funeral and also my father. Th- th- those were two verses that my parents absolutely loved. You know why? Because it was based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of that, we can go forward in our life's journey. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you to see your perspective on the cross. Thank you, Father, that we can see your love. We can see your mercy. We can see your grace unfolded before us in that penalty that Jesus Christ bore. That plan that you put your righteousness on display. Your grace was exalted. The consistency, Father, of your will just shown to the world and confirming the law. You meant business. There was penalty to be made. There was a penalty to be paid. Father, all of that was accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you know these people's hearts better than they do. You know our needs before we do. Father, take us one step from this place on life's journey, taking us where we need to be to doing the things we need to do because we're focused on you. If there's anyone here, Father, today or hearing my voice anywhere that does not know Jesus Christ personally, does not have that saving faith. Those characteristics that we unfolded today are not something that they recognize. That literally this moment right now, as they bend their knee, bow their heart, and say, I want to believe the Lord Jesus Christ paid for my sins. The penalty was paid. God himself saw the cross from, as a way to rejoin myself to him. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin, and I trust and believe that that is true. I know that when I believe that, that I have eternal life. Not because I say so, not because of who I am, but literally because of this moment, the faith that God has placed within my heart, I'm responding to and receiving that free gift right now. If you have prayed that prayer, then literally you have been saved by God's grace. God has opened his arms and received you. And because of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, you will one day, based upon that faith in Christ, whose grace was accomplished because he paid the debt that you owed, you will be together with him. Father, it's a great privilege to know that you have accomplished all of this. We bow our hearts, everything that we are, in adoration and gratitude. Help us to see you more clearly each and every day as we know that you're purposed to make us look just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Thank you.
And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.